The year is 2012, and the film adaptation of Edgar Rice Burroughs' Barsoom novel A Princess of Mars is released in theaters. Some say it is one of Disney's biggest disappointments, but does it truly deserve that reputation? I am Loana Saita, daughter Sojat of the great Tar Starkus. Uh, and I'm Travis Kirkland from Earth. And this is Defend Your Trash Movie. back welcome back because it is a fine fine edition of this podcast that we call defend your trash movie the show where we examine bad movies and misrepresented films to see if they're actually good now luana mm-hmm. you know we will be talking about today's movie and today's movie as you described in the intro is one of disney's biggest disappointments biggest bombs as some might say but uh i think we should do a little bit of disney talk in fact i would like to do a little bit of disney theme park talk Mm -hmm. which of the many fine amusement parks and or lands within the parks would you like to um Discuss. Well, I think the question is more, what do you want to discuss, Luana? Because, all right, here's oh? here's the thing, listeners. Um, if you've listened to our previous episodes, uh, you you know that we have had a quite a contentious relationship with Disney about uh, presents that were promised and then not quite delivered in a great fashion. We don't have to get into it, but you know what? I think. Uh, to look on the bright side, uh, you know, speaking for myself, I am a Disney theme park fan. I'm a longtime visitor and current annual pass holder to Walt Disney World in Florida. Now, Luana, you have never been to Walt Disney World or any Disney park in the entire world. That is very true. So let's do, I think we should do a little bit of a fun, fun fantasy vacation planning for you, Luana. And oh, okay. let's plan out what Luana's perfect Disney World vacation might be like. Well, okay, but I mean, I'm not really sure about like what's, what's, what are my options? Well, what, that's what, what that's what I'm be? here to do, Luana. You, you're, no, you're no, not, no, no, no. you're not sure you, you aren't exactly familiar with everything and me. Being an expert and a longtime visitor, I, I can guide you and see what, how we can make the perfect Disney vacation for you. Now, uh, we're going to make this central to Disney World. And uh, tell you what, Luana, again, we're going to let's say that Disney actually decides to treat us right. And we're and you're and they're going to give you, Luana Seda, an all expenses paid vacation to Disney World. So. Money's not an issue. Lodging, food, that's not an issue. It's all paid for. You're being treated like the Belgian royalty you are. Oh, that's very sweet. 
well, that's great. What what would you say are the best choices to make, Travis, since you're the pass holder? Well, here's what we'll do. Because I think this is a segment that we can off that we can come back to uh for different episodes because Disney World is such a large vacation destination. There are four theme parks, there's two water parks, there's a shopping and dining district outside of the theme parks multiple hotels and there's a lot to do there's a lot to do so let's plan out you know let's just plan out for this episode a day one for you let's let's just plan out what day one would be like for luana and so let's of course talk about the theme park so uh are are you can you name or are you familiar with the four theme parks that make up disney world what isn't Disney World a theme park? Well, Disney World is the, uh, it's the resort. It's the resort. It's, oh, okay. it's the resort. Like it's like all that all that stuff I talked about with the different theme parks, the water parks. That's all Disney World essentially. Like that. Oh, that's okay. All. So if I buy a ticket to Disney World, I have, I actually have you, access to different parks. No, you have to buy one ticket to each park because each park. Is like its own like one day experience essentially. <laughs> okay, I'm you know I'm starting to re starting to remember why I've never gone. To <laughs> You're beginning to see why only an expenses yeah. all expenses paid trip is maybe the only way to perfectly visit this place. But again, we're living okay. in, we're living in the like again Disney World is all about fantasy and the fantasy life in the fantasy land of it all. Right. Okay. yeah, okay, okay. okay. But, okay. But, can, um, but just out of cultural osmosis, do you know what the four? Theme parks that make up Disney um, World are. Okay, so I, I always thought there were just like lands that you could visit for free with one ticket, but apparently that's not the case. Uh, I think there's Epcot. Right, there's Epcot. That's the one that's... Uh, that's... The big ball. It's like the big golf yep, ball. Yep, it's half futuristic stuff and half world showcase with all the different pavilions about technology, the future, right. as well as uh, displaying is, the culture of other is Epcot, countries. Was, is that Tomorrowland, is, is, or is that a different thing? Tomorrowland is a land in another theme park, and uh, that is... There, there's, there's the Magic Kingdom. And it, it, Tomorrowland is a land in Magic Kingdom, which is, okay. which is uh, I would say, like the traditional Disney park. That right. People usually, the... It's got Cinderella Castle. It's got yeah, you know yeah. all of the what small. It's a small world. Pirates of the Caribbean. All those rides you think of. That's all in Magic Kingdom. So that's two. Okay. So uh, how many are there? Four. Um. There's is Animal Kingdom uh park in itself. That is right. That is Animal Kingdom. That is the one that's uh basically like a giant zoo animal conservation uh area and is all about you know nature environmentalism and uh the animal and animal the animal kingdom as the title says and can you uh can you conjure up the last park the fourth one uh so, okay so uh epcot animal kingdom magic kingdom so we've got future uh -huh. we've got animals uh -huh. we've got the disney cartoons uh -huh. Is Galaxy's Edge its own park? That it is a land in this park. Mm, okay. Uh, studios, Disney Studios. Yeah, yeah, that's Disney's Hollywood Studios. Uh, okay, right. Oh, so, hey, so it is, yeah. So what? What? The movies? Is that all yeah, about yeah. the live action? Yeah, it's all about or? movie. Well, not necessarily live action, but just about movie making and uh, you know Hollywood, the heyday of Hollywood, and it does contain 
Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Now you have four theme parks there, and you pretty and, and you pretty much to find out what the deal of those four different parks are, and uh, and you will get to all of them on this fantasy expenses paid vacation. But you know, it, we have to be slightly realistic. You can only go to one at a time. So on day one, which of these four theme parks are you visiting? Okay, let's let's take it easy. It's a, it sounds like a zoo. Let's start with the Animal Kingdom. All right, let's go into let's Animal Kingdom. Do, 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 do. Going to Animal Kingdom. All right. Uh, okay. All right. So, what do we got here in Animal Kingdom? Well, okay, we have. Uh, okay, well, how about this? Uh, when you go to theme parks, like what 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 kind of experiences interest you? What are the things that you like to do in general? Um, I like immersive experiences. Uh-huh. I like dark rides. Uh-huh. I like uh, you know uh, simulators. I like okay. the idea. I like being transported. Um, I like uh, I like coasters, but nothing too wild. Uh-huh. I'm a big scaredy cat. Okay. Um, I uh, <laughs> I like greasy food. Oh yeah. Uh, okay. And, and you know, and, and a nice environment. Nice. I, I like to. Uh, enjoy the scenery i like walking through the park and seeing the beautiful like the the the, the vegetation mm-hmm. and uh, you know not just not just necessarily in zoos but you know nicely done parks can just simply look nice oh you, and i think yeah. you picked a great park for that particular aspect because animal oh, lovely because animal kingdom yeah i think on from a design standpoint it is probably the best design park because they oh seriously because they really when it was built by the imagineers at disney they really tried to emphasize the connection to nature the emphasis on nature in the environment so um you have lands themed to like africa and asia and the rainforest, the jungles, and Sarah, and they really do a, a wonderful job from like getting like accurate trees or building accurate like pathways and whatnot. Um, so yeah, I, I so I think from that aspect, I think you could probably you walk around and not really do any rides and, and have a good time because everything is so exquisitely decorated. You could tell that the Imagineers really, I think, put forth the effort into it. Oh, that's that's cool. That's uh, that's nice to hear. Yeah, and uh, well, let's get into it. So it sounds like you're a fan of dark rides and and being transported, mm-hmm. and, and I can't think of a better dark ride to start you on than Dinosaur, based on the 2000 CGI Disney <laughs> film Dinosaur. <laughs> There's a defender trash. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. Okay. So. The I so this is a dark ride, but it's kind of a uh, intense dark ride. Because, oh really? Uh, yeah, because you're on a uh, you essentially. Uh, so th- while this is based on the movie, the uh, pretty much forgotten CGI movie dinosaur, uh, it you don't start in the prehistoric age. You actually go to the Dinosaur Institute, where they are okay. where they are testing time travel technology and you and the you know the storytelling device that gets you into the dinosaur world is that they invented this new top what they call a time rover which is your ride vehicle that'll take <laughs> you into the past that, that's a lot of extra lore to the to the film dinosaur well look it would be just so silly look 
Wouldn't you feel silly if you just went into a building and you just saw your friend Aladar, the Iguanodon, just right in front of you? Like, wouldn't, be, wouldn't you be like, that was so random. I need a storytelling I, device. I'm not immersed yeah. at all if I just came across my boy Aladar. If you just, you, it's, it's like you got to save the Aladar. You got to pace out the reveal of Aladar. You can't reveal your Aladar so soon. Um. So, so. Okay, so let's fucking take this time buggy to Aladar. Oh, <laughs> um, doesn't that sound like a great ride? <laughs> I have to say that. My first visit to the Disney parks is really blowing my mind right now. I know. You go to the Disney parks to see your favorite characters, and the first one you see is Alador. Yeah. I took a time buggy specifically to do it. <laughs> and all the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful uh, setting and vegetation of Animal Kingdom. I just ran straight past that to, to take to get into the time buggy and see my man's avatar. <laughs> Fuck you, Komodo dragons exactly. and polar bears. No, no, no. Just, you, you, yeah, you're, you, would, you would smack a zebra in the face to get it out of the way to go see Aladar. Headbutt a camel like Conan. <laughs> you're, you're hashtag not like other girls who are all about the Disney princesses. You're about Aladar. <laughs> <laughs> hey listen listeners if you're on twitter and you're listening to this episode i want you to now perpetrate this fake notion that that luana is the number one aladar fan <laughs> ripped in the mentions but i'm different and luana okay what, so and luana, aladar no. he... yeah aladar and you know what you love that right so much that's the only thing you did at Animal Kingdom. It's closing time. Day one, complete. Day one complete. Day one complete. Fuck everything else. Fuck you, James Cameron. Oh, uh, no, no. I know the Avatar shit was in here. But fuck Avatar. <laughs> we went to see Aladar. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, no. We should we should give mention to the to the uh, to the Pandora stuff. Yeah. So we did a little. Uh, for listeners, we did a little bit of off mic chatting about Pandora, uh, the world of Avatar, because this, this Animal Kingdom does contain uh, Pandora, the world of Avatar, which has all the land and ride experiences relating to uh, James Cameron's movie franchise. And here's the thing, Luana, because oftentimes Avatar, the joke about Avatar in some circles, like, well, Avatar was the biggest movie in the world, and no one remembers it, no one likes it, you know, and all that. And yet, dig this. So, of the four Disney World theme parks, Animal Kingdom was always number four. Like, obviously still saw millions of visitors, but it was still the least visited of the four. Aww. When they added Pandora, the world of Avatar, it went from number four... To number two. Oh, okay. So, so I mean, they, I mean, and again, uh, it, it, I, I gotta say, um, 
you know, we talk talking about that same kind of indifference that people have. I say, just like the rest of Animal Kingdom, that Pandora was so exquisitely detailed and crafted by the Imagineers that even if you aren't a fan of Avatar, if you even hate Avatar, I think the land does such a great job with its scenery, with its environments, uh, with its mood and its ride experiences that I think you could be enchanted, genuinely enchanted by uh, by Pandora. Um, and uh, yeah, and like genuinely like like the big like one of the big things that often gets photographed, which is like one of the big uh, big monuments in pandora or the big monument in pandora that people talk about is that they perfectly recreated the floating mountains like they actually created oh, like wow. light the life-size floating mountains uh and it's really cool and it's great and uh and what's also kind of nice about it is um so like obviously like going back to what i was talking about with animal kingdom uh, they did such a great job trying to plan out everything to make sure that the lanes didn't seem haphazard, that they flowed into one another. Same thing with Pandora. Like, uh, honestly, like, it, in retrospect, it's such a perfect fit to the aesthetic of a to Animal Kingdom. Like, they managed to really make that world definitively that alien planet while not breaking the aesthetic already established that like kind of the natural environment aesthetic established by animal kingdom um so yeah i mean what do you think i mean uh and uh there's two rides there you got flight of passage which is like this which is like the newest most modern advanced e-ticket version of a 3d simulator ride it's so great and then there's a navi river journey which is just a a, a, a narrative-free. No, there's no story, but it's just you. You're in a you're in a nice little boat, and you just travel through this like a uh, Navi River at night, and you see all the luminescent uh, plants and the animals and whatnot. Yeah, very relaxing. So uh, yeah, again, I weirdly enough, like it's it's funny because I feel like anytime you know, not just Disney, but any theme park makes makes a land. Based on a popular franchise, you want to do things. All right. You want to see the characters. You want to see certain uh, events happen and this, that. And yet, weirdly enough, because the land itself doesn't feature any of like the specific movie characters from the films, and it doesn't necessarily feature any particular events from the movie, obviously, aside from just seeing you know things like the Navi and the Banshees, uh, yeah, you can kind of just come into this world context-free and just kind of take it in and really enjoy it. I mean, how do you feel? Well, that sounds great. That sounds like uh, the ideal, uh, you know, the ideal theme park experience of a movie, just like uh, luxuriating the world without needing to know anything about it. Like, you know, that's 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 how you'd want a ride based off a movie, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, and I think there's other stuff in Animal Kingdom that... Hey, you know, maybe this was, maybe this is day one, the first four hours of your trip. Maybe we can get to day one, the next four hours on another episode and, and see what else you might like in Animal Kingdom. All right. Sure. I'm um, <laughs> definitely looking forward 
to my um, fictitious holiday yeah. <laughs> at the Disney World yeah. Resort. And no, Luana, silly Luana, you can't go on Dinosaur again to see Aladar. <laughs> oh, goddamn. What's, what's the point, even? <laughs> well, you know what the point is? Is Well, we have to leave the Animal Kingdom and go to an entirely different Disney environment. And that is the far-off planet of Mars, or as some might call, Barsoom. Because oh, ho, ho. on today's episode, we will be discussing the movie John Carter. And uh, not a moment too soon, I think. Uh, I uh, gotta admit, I uh, wanted to... My, my choice for the Animal Kingdom and the World of Avatar was slightly... Uh, it was a bit, it was a bit of a, a setup because you can't talk Avatar without talking about John Carter. Let them be crushed. John Carter, directed by Andrew Stanton, was released on March 9th, 2012. It stars Taylor Kitsch, Lynn Collins, Samantha Morton, Willem Dafoe, and many others. It's based on the sci-fi novel A Princess of Mars, written by Edgar Rice Burroughs. And I didn't realize this, Luana. This year, this year that we are recording this, 2022... It's uh, the 10-year anniversary of this movie coming out. Yeah, I was uh, thinking about that, coming home from work. Uh, hey, wait a minute. We're doing uh, John Carter, which uh, yeah. came out uh, 10 years ago, which is so weird. Yeah, it came out 10 years ago and had quite a lot of press about it. Um, not good, not all good. In fact, most of it pretty bad. But, you know, a decade out. And that's what this podcast is about. It's it's maybe good to really look at this film and see truly what it's all about. Uh, I'll start with this. 
Um, I have never read any of the Barsoom books, any of the John Carter books that Edgar Rice Burroughs wrote. Um, I have always been aware of the books in culture. I, I know that they are um, sort of these important uh, texts in the context of sci-fi adventure, fantasy adventure, and that, you know, so many storytellers, uh, writers, and filmmakers and whatnot were inspired by uh, these books and whatnot. And I know that also that many filmmakers have been trying for a long time to do a John Carter movie over the decades. Um, but uh, uh, this movie... Uh, is the only John Carter content that I've actually ever witnessed. This is the only John Carter stuff I've been privy to. Uh, what about you? Pre-movie, what was your experience with uh, the John Carter stuff? I had heard about the many attempts to make uh, a John Carter movie or, or a Princess of Mars movie. Um, I'd seen some fan arts. Um I ended up reading A Princess of Mars, but I think I only read A Princess of Mars after um, after seeing the movie. <laughs> so uh, I went into it pretty uh, pretty uh, pretty unspoilt, I guess. So yeah, I, I did not know uh, a whole lot of it. I did um, end up, although I'm not sure if I read it. Before seeing the movie or after, I also did read um, John Carter and the Gods of Hollywood. Okay. Uh, is a book about the um, ab about the journey of Princes of Mars to screen. Oh. Basically. Hmm. Uh, so it's uh, a guy that uh, – <laughs> a guy called Michael D. Sellers who um, – basically details every uh, attempt since the book came out, every um, every failed attempt, obviously. Mm -hmm. And when it gets to the Pixar version or the Disney version, um, what went wrong? <laughs> like what? <laughs> so he, he analyzes the, the marketing campaign and um, how, how did this happen? Uh, and where does where does the movie kind of uh, shoot itself in the foot? Uh, not just the movie, but but the uh, or not just the marketing campaign, but the movie itself ultimately as well. And uh, yeah, I uh, that was that was very uh, it was very informative. Yeah. Um. So I saw this movie not in theaters, but I did rent it. Um. In two thousand twelve. Um, so I was very much aware of like all the bad press leading up to the movie, all the reviews, um, that came out when it came, when the movie was released and how hard it bombed and blah, blah, blah. So I did rent it just to kind of see what it was all about. And I had my thoughts and I had not seen it, uh, much like the 10 year anniversary had not really had not rewatched it since that initial viewing. So when I when I prepared to rewatch this for the podcast, I was curious to see if my thoughts, my initial thoughts, were the same. Had were they gonna change and whatnot? And uh, I'm gonna say that they have not changed. 
Um, what about you? What 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 about what's your experience with the movie John Carter? I think they're about the same. Um, I was like, in um, maybe I'm slightly more more cynical. I suppose um, I, I was very enchanted in 2012 about the things that got right, uh-huh. and in uh, 2022 I was a bit. Um, I was a bit, um, I was a bit disappointed in the things it did wrong to my, to my opinion, uh, that were just, you know, L's that they did not need to take. Uh-huh. Um, there, there were some greater decisions made that made me go, this, this was not a budget decision. This was, you know, this, this was not forced upon you. You made that choice. Uh, and, um, so, but ultimately, I did like the movie once again. Like it has many charming qualities. Um, I, I guess the the because dis- you know now you're ten years on and you you definitely know they're not going to make a sequel. Although maybe there's been you know the the ten years that have passed. Maybe yeah. we'll see another John Carter reboot. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I still like the movie. I still uh, like dislike the things I disliked ten years ago, but now it's more like, oh man, why did you do that? <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, I had mentioned before that my initial feelings about the movie have not changed ten years later, and you know what those thoughts are? What was that? John Carter is a good movie. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. <laughs> yeah, and. Which might be kind of mind-blowing, considering, again, the reputation that this film has gotten. But, yes, I will say, I will agree with you. There are issues with this movie. Um, However, I think once the movie gets into the swing of things, I think it's a really fun adventure movie. A, A genuinely fun adventure movie that... You know, whatever the marketing is, I mean, we we might get into the marketing later, but it, you know, it seems like marketing and it, it seems like filmmaking is a whole ball game and then marketing the movie is an entirely different ball game. <laughs> I, I certainly and, learned that uh, as a younger film fan when John Carter came out. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, swatting away all that marketing and the buzz and this and that i really do think that this is a genuinely fun sci-fi movie if you give it a chance absolutely absolutely and i would uh, i would wholeheartedly recommend it if you're looking for something new all right but uh what I, and you i remember you because we've been friends for a long time and i remember you were like an early proponent of this movie are nearly supportive of like of like no everybody this is actually good there's actually good stuff in here genuinely fun stuff uh so you so you've been uh holding the torch for barsoom and helium and the tharks um hashtag tharks do not fly um <laughs> but what did they do <laughs> <laughs> why well, could i mean i know twitter existed back then but i i think if 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 this movie was released now they should have the hashtag Tharks do not fly as an advertising. Hashtag Tharks do not fly. Um, and then and then and then at some point they can go a character go. They fly now. <laughs> Flying is good. <laughs> um, okay, but um, what what do you think? Uh, I, I'll let you kind of have the floor for 
a good chunk. So what what were the, what are like some of the first qualities of this movie that I think you want to tell listeners for those who maybe are a little bit ambivalent uh, to John Carter? Okay, so I think that we are deep enough into MCU dominance in 2022 that there's probably gotten to be, you know, a good bit of backlash. Even if you like the MCU, it's like, oh, you know, they're all just snark machines and, and, and you know, snarky, goofy guys doing sitcom shtick while chasing a MacGuffin and, and such and such such wise. And, um... John Carter is a very much a throwback uh, adventure. It is very much not a snarky, um, self-aware type of movie. It has, um, it is, it is supremely earnest. There is no, yeah, there is no like they. As I joked before, there is no they fly now moment. Yeah, there's, there's no. He's standing right behind me, isn't he? <laughs> He's, uh, there's no, well, that happened. There's no, um, no. In, in, instead of that, there, there's lines like, let red man kill red man until only green Martian remain. <laughs> and if my right arm offends me, I will cut it off. <laughs> and uh, just this going all in on... Um, and uh, and and just uh, sci-fi uh, space opera bullshit. And like ah, here is the arm cannon of the ninth ray. <laughs> Nobody makes any jokes about oh the ninth ray. Huh? What happened to the other? Ray? <laughs> they they just they just run with it. It is a very sincere adventure. Um, it's sweepingly romantic. It's got a big Michael Giacchino score. Lovely Giacchino um, score. Mm-hmm. What? A uh, lovely Dakino score. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, it's a, uh, it's it, it, and it's it, it's big and um, earnest and uh, romantic and um, well, the the humor that is there is, is character based humor. No one is commenting on the situation. Uh, they're they're making jokes. They're uh, you know they're um um. They are making jokes in character to another character. They're making each other laugh, or they're being sarcastic about the the person that they are talking to, not the genre trope that they're being faced with. Yeah, I'll yeah, I, I say I'll say that like a definite plus to this movie is I think the humor is genuinely funny. Um, like that, like the moment where near the climax when when John is leading the army of Tharks into the wrong city uh when uh, when when actually and then the one thark slaps him on the head head like you dummy i'm like oh that's that's like a genuinely funny good beat like it doesn't like i i i feel like in a more sarcastic movie that would stick out as a sore thumb but yet it feels like a very i don't know a very fun natural comedic beat in that moment And uh, the um, Admiral Kantos Khan, who uh, tells John, come on, take me hostage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not the sharpest suit in the shed, are you? Uh, that uh, that's, a, that's a very funny uh, moment. Or um, John trying to escape Brian Cranston a bunch of times yeah. by a jump cut. Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah I think, because uh, this is a, uh, this is a, uh, 
the live action debut of Andrew Stanton, who previously known for directing the Pixar movies Finding Nemo and Wally and being one of the founding heads of Pixar. And uh, I think one of his uh, strengths in this movie, I think he has a really good, he has a really strong uh, sense for the comedic montage. Uh, so that sequence you described where where Kitsch is continually escaping from Cranston's capture while Cranston is like, while Cranston is doing sort of like the boring exp- expository thing of telling the audience what John Carter is responsible for, but doing these uh, comedic beats of him continually escaping and beating up Cranston. I think that's really great. Um, I, I think it, one of the great, one of my favorite moments, honestly, is when Carter is first transported to Mars and he's first learning how to jump and walk on Mars and he's, and he's kind of, you know, he's just learning the to the the weird gravity and situation and and I think uh that's really well edited to be like funny, but it also shows Carter is slowly learning. Um I think that 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 piece of music that plays under that montage might be my favorite piece of the Jacino score. I think it it wonderfully is comedic but also captures a kind of romantic wondrousness of Mars. Um, um, yeah, and I, I think he has. I think that is one of the strengths that Stanton really brings to this movie. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that um, the the humor, the ah, you know, here here is where we. Here's where we kind of bump up against the the because Stanton is so adept at bringing the wonder of Mars. He seems to forget that John Carter is is our guy. Is 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 the guy with whom do we want? to experience all the wonders of Mars, of Barzoom. And we don't need... I don't know if you you haven't read any Barzoom stuff, but um, I'm not sure if you're aware, maybe, maybe you are. The whole Civil War dead family background... He's a, he's a PTSD vet or whatnot. Uh-huh. That wasn't in the books. Uh, I figured. I can't, it, 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 even as much as I like that movie, it, it, that feels like a movie-made backstory. Right, yeah. And it's, it's because, you know, John is just a guy. He's an Earth guy. He's, a, he's like a righteous, square-jawed hero of old-timey sci-fi, you know, uh, ray guns and aliens type of type of stories. There's not much to him. He's just a good guy. He likes helping people. And, 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 uh, he's just, uh, so I understand that for a 2012 production, like eh, maybe we want something to this guy. Maybe we'll give him some dimension. But honestly, they didn't need to. Um, because we don't... Because Barzoom is, uh, is a wonder. Barzoom is... Uh, Barzoom 
is the thing that we are going to explore as an audience. We've never, there's never been a Barzoom movie. There's never been a Barzoom cartoon or in, there's Barzoom cartoons. The Barzoom cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's your job as a filmmaker to, okay, let's check. You know, there's not much to Luke Skywalker either. There's not much to, you know, it <laughs> doesn't matter. Um, you know, we're, we want to, we're going to see what Tatooine and the Death Star is all about. You know, we don't need to, we don't need to discover what Luke Skywalker is about. We'll, we'll learn that later, but you know, let's, in 1977, we need to know what the Star Wars universe was about uh -huh. first. Um, and you kind of got what Luke's deal was, but it's simple. Oh, I'll never get off this rock. Yeah. And that's enough. That's, we know, you know, or you know what Han's deal was by, by saying like, ah, I don't believe in religion and just give me the money man yeah. that, that's all yeah that, that's what and honestly when <laughs> when there's there's a moment when like the the, the zodanga ship attacks the human ship hey that ain't no fair fight that's all you need to fucking know about john carter a lady <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> he needs to be a and i feel like we almost kind of we, we've gotten to the point where we um is bring back the MCU. Like I think, like the sort of goofy, nice, brawny himbo, like Thor. You know that that's kind of what what John Carter should be. Like, hey, that's a lady. <laughs> he's a you know he's also a Confederate veteran. I don't know how you how you jump around that, but uh, he's a he's a Southern gentleman. Um, there, there's a moment where um, Mark Strong says, like, hmm, sir polite must be a southerner and and it's like you can't he's not he's not really acting very southern throughout the movie like like oh is, is he like uh conspicuously polite i guess he did say sir just now but and if if they had just made him like a sort of funny uh like a chad foghorn leghorn <laughs> then that's enough you don't need a tragic backstory he's like well i guess i'm you know, I'm, a, I'm a veteran but the war's over so i gotta make money where i gotta make money there's a gold cave you say uh oh let's check it out oh no now i'm on more <laughs> that that's all you need and yeah <laughs> I, yeah i i i agree with you that the backstory of him having a having a dead family is unnecessary um because it, it seems like th that's the reason that's added there is like they want the they want the hero progression of John to be of somebody who doesn't want to fight, who doesn't want to take up a cause, and then his adventures on Barsoom make him become a, a a warrior with purpose. Essentially, I think that's what at least this movie version wants john carter to be and i think you could still do that without the backstory um like like if you still need him to be a little bit haunted like maybe not quite himbo but maybe a little bit more sardonic i think you could have him be just like a guy who was in like the u.s cavalry but like was disillusioned about uh, about you know american colonialism and whatnot which like yeah which it would be understandable like he's a guy who's like seen war shed and doesn't believe in war doesn't believe in any of this you know you know force majeure you know or uh you know uh manifest destiny bullshit 
in anything. And so he's just interested in just what he can make out. That's why he's interested in like the gold cave and whatnot. And then he gets transported to Mars and then, you know, from his event. And then, you know, he can still do the story as pretty much beat from B where it's like, okay, this was a guy didn't care about his country, didn't care about fighting and through his perseverance on Barsoom, he finds purpose. You can still have that. And it's such, and it's so simplified too. Um, that it's like, huh, I, but again, it felt like they needed to have a real specific, like, movie story reason, as though, like, they, they read, like, you know, in script 101, your hero character needs to have a definitive reason to do the thing he must do, and, like, yeah, a tragic backstory is, like, one of the easiest things, but it's, like, but it's also, like, an, an unnecessary thing, um, and to kind of go into it, like, if if this movie has, again, never mind the marketing, never mind and all this. If this movie has problems, I do think it is not an easy movie to get into in the first act. Um, even, even when I rewatched this movie for the podcast recently on Disney+, Plus. I was rewatching it, and and in the first 15 minutes, I was like, oh, I don't know if I can... I mean, I remember liking this movie, but eesh, I don't I don't know, because like, you know, it starts with the fight between the two, uh, the, 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 between the two the cities, yeah, yeah, between the two uh, clans and then the Thern show up. But like, you know, to an audience, it's like it, 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 it's just a bunch of alien nonsense. It's just a bunch of nonsense. <laughs> like, it's just a bunch of it's. it's it, it's oh, go ahead. Exactly, like you can just draw the whole thing. Yeah. Just start with John Hunter. Hell, start with uh, I'm Edgar Rice Burroughs, and I just got a weird letter from my uncle John. Uh, yeah, huh? and it's, guys are following him. Well, I guess I better go see. Huh? He's dead. <laughs> you know, we understand what that is. He's like getting a letter from your rich uncle and suddenly your rich uncle is dead while weird guys was chasing him that's a mystery we're, we're into it you know well, <laughs> that's, a, that's fine well it's even more confusing because like so they they have that whole opening on on barsoom and then mm-hmm. we go to earth and we see john and he's like trying to escape this person who we don't know why it's just that and then immediately after that like when he does the message delivery uh, he's dead, or the story tells us that he's dead, and 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 begins the framing device with his nephew Edgar Edgar Rice Burroughs, you know, coming to John's estate and reading, you know, the letter that John wrote, and it's like, this is too much. Like this is a lot that you're asking the audience here. That's why i because the ultimately the 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 Edgar Rice Burroughs thing is a um matters to the plot because that's the whole twist at the end like oh i just faked it cuz i needed a thern's uh, medallion to get back to mars thanks buddy please you know so so the Edgar Rice Burroughs thing is is a it has a fun payoff at the end so i wouldn't scratch the Edgar Rice Burroughs thing but just start with Edgar Rice Burroughs being like oh i received a mysterious letter from my rich uncle What's what's the deal with that? That uh, and then you know he arrives at you know whatever town John lives and oh 
sir, haven't you heard? John Carter is dead. And, you know, that, oh my God, that, that you know, that, that's a mystery. That, that, that's, get that. And I, okay, what happened? Let's, let's try and find out what the, what the mystery is. And, uh, and take it from there. See, I'm going to disagree. And I think that the Edgar Rice Burroughs thing, I think could have been dropped entirely. Um, uh, again, a question for you again, because you've read more than me. Um, is in in addition to the whole tragic backstory being only from the movie, is John Car is John returning to Mars and then trying to find a way back to Mars only from the movie, or does that happen in the book? Um, I remember that Edgar Rice Burroughs that there is a fictional version of Edgar Rice Burroughs talking to the reader. Okay. Um, but him and Deja actually like the book ends with him, with them actually being separated. And the, the therns are only like book, book two, I okay. think. Like uh, there, there is no Mark strong. Uh, there's just, you know, the green, the Green Martians and Zadangar. Okay. So the Therns are a thing from a later book, but they brought it into this story. Yeah. Okay. As, as kind of masterminds yeah. of the whole uh, deal. Because I don't know if, like, the whole mystery of John Carter's supposed death is, like, necessary. I, I Because it's like, I don't know. I you're Because you're, you know he's not dead. Or, like, as you as an audience, I don't think you would ever assume he's dead so like and maybe this is me being a more cynical viewer so like when he shows back up to like at his supposed tomb to like shoot the one thorn dead to get the device it's like oh yeah okay he's alive and he's gonna go back to mars all right that's whatever like it's not much of a satisfying reveal like i i only understand it as like well that is maybe a more intriguing storytelling device. And I guess to have it still, you know, be a version of how it's told in the book, where it is a fictional version of Burroughs telling the story of John Carter. Uh, but it seems unnecessary to me. Like, I think if, like, if I had to re-edit the movie, I would be fine with like still keeping the opening of the battle between the two cities having the therms show up. But then I think it could have opened with uh, Carter on the run from the U.S. Cavalry, and maybe you could have, like, Taylor Kitsch do some narration, like, oh, you know, I you know, I was a soldier without purpose, a, sol a, a man without a country, but soon I, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then you could just, you know, with no have no framing device and just go right into running away from the cavalry, getting caught, going to Mars, and then play it out just as. I think that I think that would have been fine, in, in my opinion, at least. Okay, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's certainly a valid um, point. Um, I, I like, because uh, I, while I do agree with that, you know, the audience probably isn't going to think, oh, he's actually dead, you might start to think, well, what's the deal then? You know, because if you if you um if you frame it right, you can even do it like, oh, OK, so the story is like 
because Edgar Rice Burroughs is my Uncle Jack. So it's like, oh, is he like an old guy now or something? So is the movie just like him recounting his youth? Uh, you know, in in that way, you can actually make it... Uh, you can actually make it a surprise at the end. And like, oh, no, it's it's not recounting his youth. There he is. He's back and he's just... Uh, He's just Taylor Kitsch. He's he's the he's not old man makeup or old man, uh, you know. Is uh, because I um I, I think it is thematically appropriate of like the the fact that he dies on Earth or he semi dies on Earth and his his mausoleum um, must be guarded so that he may um, so that he may. Um, exist on Mars, or a copy of him may exist on Mars. Um, because that is, like, philosophically very interesting, I feel. It makes Barzoom kind of a, a matrix that you can be jacked out of. You know? A, a dream. Like Neo, he is, you know, he has all these powers in the in the matrix and, and on Barzoom. You know? But, but, but people can, he can be he can snap out of him and just be a regular guy uh, on on regular old Earth or just Zoom. Um, so I I think that aspect, like that, the fragility of his happiness, is actually a um, to me a part of the romance. Hmm. Okay. I, okay. I see your point. I see your point. I want to go back to the tragic backstory one more time. Um, and then I want to move on to some more positive things. Um, um, I, uh, the, the, the weirdest thing about the addition of the tragic family backstory is, um, uh, so I, I'm, I've, I was very familiar with Andrew Stanton before John Carter came out. I, I'm a, I was a fan of Wally. I was a fan of Finding Nemo. So I've heard, uh, Stanton talk on commentary tracks for his movies I've seen him do interviews. In fact, uh, as part of the pre-release hype for John Carter, he did a TED Talk about the art of storytelling. And throughout, and when you listen to him talk, you get a sense that one of the prime things he often, that it seems like one of the prime tenets that he has as a filmmaker is to make sure that your story is straight, that you are that your story is being told in the best uh, emotionally correct manner. And one thing that he cites as an example is with Finding Nemo. So obviously we all know that Finding Nemo opens with this, you know, tragic family backstory. It opens with a barracuda uh, killing Marlin's wife and most of the eggs that they've, that they've laid, uh, leaving the one egg that eventually grows into Nemo. And originally, as scripted and storyboarded, the tragic backstory was still a part of the story, but it was not the opening. In the original version of Finding Nemo, it just opened with Marlin already a nervous father and Nemo wanting to go out explore. They would make references to some type of tragedy that happened in the past that happened to Nemo's mom. Uh, but you would never see it for most of the movie until the third act when it's revealed in a flashback uh, that the bear that you see essentially the scene that is in the opening, the Barracuda attack. 
and they realized that it made no sense to keep it a secret that you already knew that Mar that that Nemo's mom was dead that it must have been a tragedy that that tragedy is what is causing Marlin to be so overly protective so it makes no sense to you know reveal it so late in the movie and try to treat it as like a surprise or a twist or something when there's nothing really to reveal and so that's why this they decided to move it up front um because then you would know all the information you would need and it would make marlin's backstory make more sense because you know the circumstances that he's gone through to be that way as he is for most of the movie so in john carter when they have that backstory that's teased throughout the movie i'm like did he not remember his that lesson from Finding Nemo? <laughs> That's weird. Yeah, and again, like I think that there is so much good in this movie that I think it's sto- it's more story and script issues that I think are a little bit problematic. And but and it's like, but that's what Stanton is usually supposed to be good at or what he's focusing on. So again, I don't know. Again, this was his live action debut, so maybe, you know, the enchantment of doing live action. I mean, he he has always spoken both pre and post release so highly about making the movie. Um, like because he always talked about how he was a fan of the John Carter novels and making this was like a passion project, a dream come true. So who knows? Maybe it's one of those things where you just get too caught up into it that maybe you can't see some obvious issues. Um, but uh, but I will say, I think that passion shows through in, in many of the positives of this movie. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I seem to remember that um, maybe you read about this as well, that there's a kind of... Um, way of working at pixar where you kind of um deliver a first ish draft of the movie like a rough cut yeah with like storyboards animatic temp music yeah. temp voice acting yeah and that's uh, so like to sort of the other creatives that aren't necessarily um very involved in that particular project that you're on, like other high-up creatives. And basically, they're as critical as can be so that you go back in and, like, you know, fix as much as, you know, and just really take a step back and uh, rejigger as much as needed from with the feedback from these guys that weren't as close to it as you are, you know? Which is, I don't, there was, like, a name for this type of, deal um which which was apparently a very pixar thing to do and stanton kind of um um assumed that that would be um the the live action way as well and um so they the the executives that saw it or the higher-ups that saw it then indeed you know gave feedback and uh he's took it back to reshoots. Like, this movie is also very much known for having some extensive reshoots. Um, and that's where, like, the sort of uh, bad buzz started. Like, ooh, they're taking this baby back to the drawing board. 
but that's kind of just how Stanton worked. That's how Pixar worked. You know, you you come up with a with a rough cut. You 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 let you let your your uh, your colleagues uh, tear it to shreds, and then you see what you can what you can make of it. And uh, but these these here executives were not having it. They're like, oh, oh no, there's still so much, and that's how the bad buds got started. And I think how the as it snowballed, maybe maybe Stanton kind of got kind of lost sight of things, you know. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Considering how how bad the buzz was, I think that um, we got a pretty, you know, for all his faults, yeah, uh, we got a pretty darn good movie out of it still. Yeah, and I would even say, uh, so Stanton, even after the the bombing of this movie, he went on to go back to Pixar and he directed Finding Dory, which ended up grossing more money than Finding Nemo. So he was he definitely has not been hurting. And then uh, he's made a, he's actually continued uh, live action stuff on television. He's directed TV episodes of Legion and Stranger Things and Better Call Saul. So again, he ain't hurt. He ain't hurt. Um, that's cool yeah uh, but you know what if he announced that he was going to return to a live action film i I would welcome it i would welcome it honestly Mm -hmm. and i would welcome it because i think john carter i think one of the big strengths of this movie is its cast Mm -hmm. i want to start with the you know much derided taylor kitsch who you know i think kind of has a reputation for a leading man who didn't work out because of stuff like this and battleship and x-men origins wolverine he just kind of he was fucking gambit i forgot oh but here's (laughs) the thing i actually think that he's kind of fun and charming in these movies um, even the very bad X-Men Origins Wolverine, I actually thought his gambit was pretty decent. And I genuinely think he's a pretty decent John Carter. My problems with John Carter are probably in the script and direction, because um I <laughs> I kinda agree with you that, you know, for how thin a character gambit is kitsch did a pretty good job in conveying oh yeah that's that's gambit he's like a cocky bastard yeah sure so he can do that and i think john carter could have used a bit more gambit in him to be honest so i'm not saying that and and i think i think he's he's actually a pretty good actor because in uh i didn't like the second season of true detective but he was real good in it i thought um, oh yeah he was yeah yeah, yeah. i remember that mm-hmm <laughs> Um, so my problems with, with, with John are not necessarily kitsch. I'm sure he could have delivered a John Carter that would have been more to my liking. Uh, but, um, he was not given the material. I, hmm. I mean, I think I'm a little bit nicer. I, 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 I just thought I genuinely enjoyed him. Like, I think... There's the fear, you know, we talked about Avatar earlier and people talk about how Sam Worthington seemed like a very uh, bland leading man. Um, But I don't know. I don't think both times I have seen uh, John Carter, he's never bored me. He, I think he 
I, I don't know. He he fit more right for me. Like I think he like when he does when he has to do the comedy. I think he fits well when he has to do that moment of after he decapitates that one warrior Thark, and he has to be like, you know, now we will, you know, now I will be, you know, Sotor Jar the Jart, and we will, you know, travel, and you know, we will fight. And I was like, okay, he's delivering this uh sincerely and i buy it so uh yeah i was like yeah you know what the, i i i genuinely think kitsch doesn't deserve uh flack for this movie i think he he, he does and i remember you know him coming out of the white ape the, like covered in blue gunk and like we die i'm dotar so jolly that's cool and he is cool in that moment but it's almost the first time that he's allowed to be cool in the movie and like we're heading into the finale. <laughs> um, again, he's not bad, but I, I don't know what any actor could have really done with the hobbled John Carter yeah. that we are given here. Yeah. Well, and then we should talk about uh, playing Deja is Lynn Collins, who I think uh, at least of the human characters, I think Lynn Collins probably gives the best performance of the human people. She is the Prince of Mars. She is the queen of this movie. Um, she should have been huge. Uh, Lynn Collins. She's very charismatic. She's a traditionally beautiful white woman. <laughs> I can't, uh, uh, I can't imagine that. Uh, She's just bad luck that she did not blow up after this movie. Um, yeah, she's. I love that she is. Uh, like they kind of uh, beef up because, like Deja Thoris in pop culture, is I guess one of the legendary damsels in distress. Look at the fan art; she's always like with her titties out, uh, like tied up somewhere, uh, being saved by John. They maybe a scientist in this one. Um, She's uh, she's constantly called Professor by uh, John Carter, uh, which is which is which is cute. Um, and uh, I love her intro where she's talking straight into the camera, giving this uh, like, "Oh, I must urge you, the ninth ray is of paramount importance to the survival of the Healy." And then she like she sort of. Uh, breaks off in laughter like oh no that's terrible that's that's great that's a fantastic fucking intro and i love that um i think it's her voice saying at the end uh that she is by all accounts bar zoom she is the re she is john's and by extension the audience's dream we want to be on bar zoom because we want to be with deja she she um she's the opposite of the civil war of the misery of 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 earth you know she is sincerity and uh laughter and kindness and and earnestness and um yeah and then lynn collins sells all that shit what were you gonna say Chad? well collins has to kind of pull off i think a bit of a tricky role because she has to you know, she kind of has to be a damsel in distress at certain points, but she also has to be believable as a warrior, as someone who could uh, have, uh, you know, great scientific knowledge, but also be warm and pleasant. 
while also giving off a viable royalty. Um, it's a lot. It's a lot. And I think she pulls it off so well that maybe a hot take here, maybe a hot take. I think Lynn Collins should have been Wonder Woman. <laughs> I've been saying that for like 10 years. <laughs> yeah, I think all the all the things I just described and how she per- portrays Deja is, I think, what you need in Wonder Woman. And I think she would have been a better Wonder Woman. Um, probably would not have tried to uh, do a video of her singing Imagine during the pandemic. <laughs> We probably could have been saved from by that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, again, of the human characters, I think she is most on brand, I guess, with, uh, with, the, t- with the tone that this movie is trying to achieve, you know? Mm-hmm, yeah, totally. And then the Tharks, I think, are wonderful. I even noticed that in some of the reviews that aren't so nice to this movie that they do note that the Thark stuff is really good and i think it's because it's because it's like yeah your main two tharks are are uh willem dafoe and samantha morton who are like two actors who i think are willing you know who we've seen in other movies willing to put in put forth the effort to be expressive in really difficult roles and it shows through because tar tarkis and sola are they feel like real characters? They don't feel like CGI blobbity blues. They they're like, oh no, I care about these characters, and I see the acting that comes through from Morton and Defoe. I really like them. Yeah, yeah, and uh, don't forget Thomas Hayden Church and Polly Walker as. Uh, yeah, they they all do great jobs. I think the Thark stuff. Yeah, I think the Thark stuff might be the strongest stuff in the movie. Uh, it you can tell that I think one of the big things was to make sure that the Thark tribe stuff all made sense that you know this is like it's completely alien like even like in the first few minutes before carter can understand what they're saying it's still it's still quite alien to carter and thus the audience but to still try to make it feel you know not of earth but still kind of understandable to carter and us it's not easy and i think they do a great job with the tharks absolutely absolutely It, it, it kind of feels like a previous movie that we talked about in um warcraft Warcraft, yes where the orcs are even the people that aren't very nice to it in the reviews uh usually had good stuff to say about the mocap acting with the orcs and you like you kind of get a feel for the orc culture and stuff and same deal with the tharks here i'd say here's an interesting question and this isn't me uh, uh trying to shade actors but I wonder if that's because, hmm, do you think when you're trying to do that type of acting, mocap acting, you really have to be aware of all your facilities, like how my face moves, how my body moves, what, what, what does my voice intone at different levels, because I'm essentially collaborating with animators and other people to create that. Um, whereas maybe when actors have to play quote unquote human characters in these more fantastical settings, they can sort of more rely on reliable tropes. Like I am royalty. I am, uh, I am a scoundrel and blah, blah, blah. And maybe that's why they don't stand out, uh, compared to the more quote unquote grotesque creatures 
I don't know. It's just a thought I had. I I think you can go. It's like a well-drawn fantasy creature has to has to draw on, um, well, obviously earthly stereotypes and archetypes, and if you if you paint these fake cultures and worlds well, then with a few brush strokes, with a few lines, you can tell the audience, oh. That's that's this guy's deal. Yeah, you know, yeah, I understand what Tar Stark's deal is. He's like he's a tribal leader, and like you know, strong. We all gotta be strong warriors and honor and stuff like that. And oh, I know what Thomas Hayden Church's guy's deal is. He's like, oh, I'll get you, motherfucker. I'm gonna be the king. I'm stronger. You know, that's okay. <laughs> and uh, those are very, you know, um, very broad emotional strokes to convey. And I think an actor. That's catnip, you know. It's like okay, that's what I need to convey, and sure, I'll, uh, you know, just tell me which which uh, which flibble flubble fluble uh, fake words are supposed to convey these things, you know, and uh, uh, and I'll do it. I'll you know just uh, I'll bring the emotions. You give me the stupid lore. <laughs> you you give me the fake shit. Tell me which fake word goes with which real emotion. And I'll make sure that the audience associates that fake word with that real emotion or, or that fake uh, title or fake, you know, creature or whatever. Uh, and yeah, yeah. So, you know, associate your associate all your fake shit with the corresponding real shit. Convey that message to your actors properly and they'll sell it to the audience. Yeah, yeah. And I think both Warcraft and John Carter are good at that. Yeah, I do too. And look, I think we've, you know, I think this has been a much maligned movie for various reasons, but I, I think we've given it a good, I think we've given it a fair shake. I think we've done some acknowledgments of where it falls flat, but also acknowledgments of what it does genuinely good. But, uh, I think uh, it's about time we get to some of the wrap-ups here. So uh, we're going to go ahead and start off with Most Trashy, Least Trashy. That's where we talk about our least favorite, most favorite thing from this movie. And uh, uh, we'll start with Most Trashy. So, huh, Most Trashy for me from this movie, John Carter. Um, Yeah, I'm going to say that the Most Trashy thing is the backstory of John Carter of Carter's dead family. Uh we've already talked about it. It's unnecessary. You don't need it. I do think that that montage of 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 the of where the scene is cutting from uh Carter taking on the army of Tharks to him discovering his dead family. I think that is actually a well-edited scene, but again, the backstory serves no real narrative purpose. Um, it, I, I, I honestly feel it, it's something you probably could have dropped if this movie was going through a lot of reshoots and editing. You could have dropped it. Um, so yeah, I think that is going to be most trashy for me. What about you for most trashy? The, yeah, the absolute uh, inability to uh, 
just make uh, John a simple character who is upbeat and uh, a funny, fun, simple uh, guy uh, with maybe some uh, tired of war elements to him. Um, so the, the unnecessary preamble to getting to Mars uh, and then the, the way too complex um, background of John himself is to me the um, the big Achilles heel of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, what is the opposite of that? Let's talk about least trashy. And you know what? There's something in the positives that we have not brought up yet, but I think we do need to bring it up. And that's a little, 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 little guy called Woola. <laughs> Woola, yay. <laughs> Woola, who's a little, who's a little space dog. He's slobbery and he's really fast. He's a he's a good boy, a good doge, a good Barsoom doge. Um, and in a better world, uh, Woola would be as popular as as Baby Yoda in 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 our in pop culture. Woola's great, and uh, yeah, that he is my pick for least trashy. What about you? Oh, gosh darn it, <laughs> that was a great choice. Um... I'm just, I'm gonna say um, I'm gonna say Deja, because they go all out on Deja. It's a tough character to to adapt. Um, they 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 make her capable and uh, honorable. Uh, they they she's still sexy as hell. Uh, Lynn Collins is amazing. Uh, the performance is great. Um, and they kind of kind of uh, split difference between like she's um, she's both very capable, but she's She's also kind of thirsty for John, <laughs> so that's uh, like okay, that, that's that's cool, that's cool. Like like she, she she has just about enough uh, sort of self restraint to not throw herself at him, but like Colin sells that she liked you in different circumstances. Yeah. <laughs> Which well, is- it, it, yeah. mm-hmm. that's such a dusty plan. Of course, you would be thirsty. <laughs> um. Anyway, uh. Well, we have gone through the most trashy. We've gone through the least trashy. So. Let's get to, you know, the final question of this episode. Really, the ultimate question of this podcast. So, Luana, give us your final thoughts by answering this question. Is John Carter a trash movie? It is emphatically not a trash movie. Uh, I may have some misgivings about it, but it's a very fun, earnest, delightful a uh, sweeping romantic adventure movie um the likes of which i hope uh would uh, we we get many more of in the advent- in the annals of hollywood adventure what about you Travis what do you think yeah i'm going to say this is not a trash movie um we have definitely discussed our issues with it um but i would say if you're someone who is like, okay, I can watch, you know, a Marvel or DC movie and it may not be perfect, but it gives me these things and I can be happy with it. Or, you know, if you're that type of viewer who's even like, I watch romantic comedies or horror movies and I don't expect them to be perfect, but if they give me certain uh, serotonin highs or certain things I expect of this genre, then I'm fine with it. And I would say if you're willing to give... uh those excusable parameters some movies like that i think you'll be fine with john carter and giving it a second chance or a first chance even because i think 
for as much hullabaloo has been made about this being such a big bomb for Disney that I, I think it's it's unfair. And I think, you know, it's weird because I think Disney has this weird way of having properties that will fail at first, but then just give it time and it'll find some relevance. Like Tron is another movie I can think of that kind of came and went bond but then just it kind of slowly got a following and then they made you know a, a sequel and may they maybe do another sequel or who knows so who knows i mean i i, I kind of doubt that john carter would get such a revival but should john carter be revisited uh by stanton by disney with all the same principles and whatnot honestly as much as it may seem on paper as a bad idea, I would welcome it because I think John Carter is def- is a fun movie. Give it a chance if you haven't seen it. Not a trash movie. Don't believe the hype. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, uh, that's it for John Carter. But we're not out of... Uh, we're not out of the realm of outer space because uh, we have to talk about our next episode, which will be happening in two weeks with a new movie. And uh, Luana, as I said, we are... Did you know that we are actually in the middle of a space saga? Wait, what? Are we? Yeah, of course. You know, uh, our previous episode was The Predator, which is about a space alien. Uh-huh. On uh, this episode... John Carter. It's all about space aliens going to the space alien planet. And a good saga is usually three movies, a trilogy. And I so I think we need to end a trilogy with an appropriate space alien movie. And I can't think of a finer space alien movie. I cannot think of any other space alien movie that we should end this trilogy with than with Muppets from Space. Why that's a no-brainer. Um, absolutely. Let's uh, let's head off into space and see what what family lurks. Yeah, there. I mean, think about it. The the Predator, John Carter, Muppets from Space, perfect trilogy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Per- yeah, perfect trilogy. Better than any Star Wars trilogy. Better than Lord of the Rings trilogy. Uh, most perfect trilogy ever. Hope the box set is coming out soon. Uh, but anyway, until we talk about Kermit and company, uh, that'll be in two weeks. So in the meanwhile, you can follow this show on Twitter at Trash Movie Pod. You can always email the show at trashmoviepod at gmail.com. And if you're feeling especially nice and generous, you can give the show a nice five-star rating and review on Spotify or Apple Podcast in two weeks will be our episode on Muppets from Space. But until then, uh, what's up? Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, but until next time, uh, uh, the defense uh, the defense rest. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye. I was just thinking about Aladar still. <laughs> Ooh, that, that's a character that burrows himself deep into your mind. <laughs>